Welcome to all eight of our campuses. We were supposed to end a series last weekend titled Mountains Move, but I wanted to wear this shirt one more time. (laughs) There's no other context in which I can really wear it because my name is not Will. Uh, Actually, I want to share a testimony with you, a testimony that uh, I believe has been 40 years in the making. And uh, it would be a sin of omission for me not to share it. So I'm excited about this weekend, uh, but I want to tell you what's happened in my life. I'm a little bit at a loss for words, which is saying something for a preacher. Um, So I'm excited about where God's going to take us this weekend. Let me ask you a question. And the question is this, what's your earliest memory? That's the question that the famed psychologist Alfred Adler would ask every patient he counseled at their very first counseling session. Adler would listen as they shared their earliest memory, and his response would be the same with every single client every single time. After they shared their earliest memory, Alfred Adler would say, and so life is. Adler believed that our earliest memories leave a unique and powerful imprint on the soul. They create a baseline, a trend line in our lives. For better or for worse, those early memories become emotional and mental default settings, if you will. So let me share three of my earliest memories. I was five years old. I was at my grandparents' home uh, in Fridley, Minnesota. They lived on the Mississippi River and loved my grandparents and had a blast at their house. Uh, They only had one rule, and the rule was this. My, My grandfather was a professor at the University of Minnesota, and one of his prized possessions was a uh, fossil collection. And so uh, the rule was, uh, do not play with grandpa's fossils. Those fossils were the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can call me Adam because I remember picking it up with my five-year-old hands. And I remember the fossil falling out of my hands. I remember it cracking on the ground. And as it did, my heart may as well cracked in two. My grandfather walked into the room and he quickly assessed the situation. He didn't scold me. He didn't spank me. What he did, I will remember for the rest of my life. He picked me up and held me close, didn't say a word, just gave me a bear hug. It was my first taste of grace. It was the first time I experienced uh, an incarnation of grace because I was scared. I knew what I did was wrong, but in that moment, that's my first definition of grace. Listen, we have a core value as a church, love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. You know what? It traces back to that one incident, to that one memory, and so life is. Let me go back a little further. When I was four years old, a neighbor friend uh, rode his bike over to my house and made a little pronouncement. Now, I had a habit of borrowing his bike whenever I wanted to. And so uh, evidently he got tired of it. He came down and said, you can't ride my bike any longer because my dad took off the training wheels. 
And then he biked back to his house five doors down. Well, I marched down to his house. I got on his bike and I rode his bike back to my house without training wheels. And I kicked the kickstand down in our driveway. Um, Because I want to tell you something. If you want to get me to do something, don't tell me to do it. Tell me it can't be done. Tell me it can't be done. I need a challenge. I've needed a challenge since I was four years old. And so life is. But neither of those are my earliest memory. My earliest memory, uh, if I was sitting down with Adler, uh, would be this. I was three years old and I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't breathe. And that sensation for a three-year-old, scary experience. I walked into my parents' room, and I woke them up, and my dad uh, picked me up, carried me out to the car, and we drove to the hospital uh, where I got a shot of epinephrine. And as that adrenaline began to flood my bloodstream, my lungs began to open back up, and I could breathe again. And we went back home, and I went back to sleep. That routine was repeated night after night, week after week, until finally we went and saw the doctor. The doctor diagnosed me with asthma and gave me an inhaler. And that inhaler became my best friend for the next 40 years. Uh, Every single day, I would take a puff of that inhaler multiple times. Uh, Never went anywhere without it. Uh, you know, I was an athlete. I played, I played basketball in high school and college. Um, everywhere I played, there would be an inhaler in my sock. Um, I would exercise with it. I would sleep with it right next to my bedside. Hardly any nights so I wouldn't wake up and have to take a puff. I'd swim with it. You name it. I don't leave home without it. I never go anywhere without my inhaler, ever, never. That's my earliest memory. And so life is. So let me ask you a question. What's your earliest memory? I want you to hold that thought. And I want you to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 6. I'm going to invite all of our campuses to stand as I read God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 1 6. And and we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along. It's a short verse, short and sweet. Here it is. I think it's a good ending note for this Mountains Move series. It says, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, enough is enough. (laughs) All right, that's the title of the message. And uh, you can go ahead and grab a seat. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Uh, I think it's a framing thought. It is hard to imagine what you cannot remember. It is hard to imagine what you cannot remember. Let me explain what I mean. If you grew up without a father, or if you grew up with an abusive father, it's very hard for you to imagine a loving Heavenly Father, because you don't have a memory of a moment with an earthly father to give you a benchmark, a baseline, a trend line in your life. Um, And because you don't have a memory, it's a little bit harder to imagine. Uh, 
I had a dad who would take me to the hospital, you know, night after night after night, and he'd do it patiently and lovingly and willingly. And and you know what? I, I haven't really thought about it before this weekend, but I think that memory of my dad taking me to the hospital, it gives me, it helps me imagine a heavenly father who is an ever-present help in time of need because that's what I had. It's hard to imagine what you cannot remember. Now, what does that have to do with Deuteronomy 1.6? I think it has everything to do with it. What was the earliest memory of the Israelites? Their earliest memory Their only memory was slavery. This is all they had known their entire lives. It's all they had known for 10 generations. It was their baseline. It was their trend line. It was their default setting. And so life is. It was hard for them to imagine freedom. What is that? It was hard for them to imagine a promised land, a destiny beyond slavery. It was hard for them to imagine victory. When you have a 400-year losing streak, it it tends to create a defeatist mentality. Slavery was their status quo. Slavery was their default setting. Their memory was their mountain. And I think that's true for many of us. A painful memory, shameful memory, memory of a mistake made, And the enemy starts playing games with us. And God has forgiven it. And God doesn't just forgive, God forgets. But the enemy reminds us over and over and over. And so my earliest memory is an asthma attack. It's all I can remember. And so it's very, very hard for me to imagine anything else. But something happened seven weeks ago. I've been waiting to tell you. Kicked off the series with the challenge. The challenge was this. What's the bravest prayer you can pray? Now, instead of me rehashing it, um, I'll be wearing the same shirt. Let me just go back. I want to just show you two minutes from that message. I'm going to come back, tell you what happened. And so what is the hardest thing that you could believe God for during this series? What is the bravest prayer that you could pray over the next seven weeks? All I know is that Joshua asked the sun to stand still. And then Elisha asked an iron axe head to float. Oh, and then Jesus asked his father to raise a man who had been dead for four days. You can ask God to move that mountain. Let let me be very transparent. You said, all right, Pastor Mark, then what what is it for you? What is that mighty mountain? I've had asthma since I was three years old. I've been hospitalized more weeks than you can imagine. I've taken more pus of an inhaler than anyone could possibly count. It's frustrating. I've prayed every prayer and I've tried everything. But I want you to know that I'm going to keep speaking to that mountain. 
because I believe in a God who is able to heal. Now, in the meantime, I'm able to tell you that I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without that thorn in the flesh. God has used it and redeemed it in my life. There's certain things about my personality or about my character that I don't think I could have learned any other way. And so it's crazy. In one regard, I'm grateful. And I know that someday I'm going to go jogging on streets of gold and I will not grow weary. And it won't be my lungs that hold me back from what it is that I'm trying to do. So two weeks ago at our prayer night, I just felt like I issued that challenge. What's the bravest prayer that you could pray? And so I asked some people to pray for me and say, would you pray again that the Lord would touch my lungs and heal my asthma? Now I want you to know that in the last couple of weeks, I've had to take my inhaler. You need to know that. But I also want you to know that I went four days without taking my inhaler. It's been years and years and years that I went four days. And then I hiked Cadillac Mountain without a single puff of my inhaler up in Acadia National Park. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wait for 100% healing. I'm gonna celebrate the improvement. I'm gonna celebrate when I discern that God's moving. I'm not gonna despise the day of small beginnings. I'm gonna celebrate the little things and I'm gonna believe God for complete healing because I know that he's able. And that may seem unreasonable to some people. So be it. And this is where a sermon becomes a testimony. Something happened that weekend that was unique. Uh, After I had preached that message at a few different campuses, um, one person came up to me and said, uh, it was their first time at NCC, but it said the night before, they had had a dream, and in that dream, uh, they were praying for someone who couldn't breathe with someone who had lung issues. And, and in their dream, kind of crazy, but they were laying hands on that person and praying in tongues. And, and uh, they said, I just came to church, this church this morning. And I figure it may not be a coincidence. What would you think about me praying for you? And I thought, well, we've never tried that before. Let's give it a go. And, uh, and so we did what that person had dreamed. And, uh, and then someone else came up to me and said that God had given them a picture and that uh, in that picture, uh, there was a snake wrapped around my neck. Now, I almost hesitate sharing that because that sounds very strange, almost a little scary, but I can't think of a better description of what I've felt like my entire life. Uh, something has constricted my breathing my entire life. And uh, they just issued a challenge and said, you need to take an ax to the root of whatever it is um, that's, that's this issue. And so long story short, I think as I preached that weekend, I think I actually believed what I preached. And I think I came to a point where I said, enough is enough. I've stayed at this mountain long enough. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. You don't get to tell God when and where and how the miracle happens. But there are moments where you can step out in faith and believe God again. I don't know why uh, so many times it seems like that prayer for healing has gone unanswered. But a, a switch flipped 50 days ago. I want you to know I haven't taken my inhaler between then and now. That's 50 days.
if you add up all the days over 40 years that I haven't taken a puff of my inhaler, uh, it wouldn't add up to 50. I want to be very careful this weekend because I don't have the emotional capacity or the verbal ability to put into words because it's so unbelievable and so unexplainable to me. But that's what a miracle is, right? And so here's what I want to do. I want to try to carefully share this testimony, and I want to share a a biblical thought at the end and just believe that somehow God might get us where he wants us to go. Oswald Chambers said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. And when I read the gospels, I don't see miracles happening the same way every time. They happen in different ways and crazy ways. And I think the reason is because God knew that we would try to reduce it down to a formula. And it's not a formula that results in healing. And it's certainly not any combination of words formulated into the right prayer that becomes some kind of abracadabra. Come on. Uh, No, it's about our heart. It's about being in a posture of humility. It's about consecrating ourselves to God. It's not about telling God how to do, what to do, when to do what he does. It's just about letting God do something in your life. But I think there's a moment where enough is enough. And so uh, I I share that because I want to be very careful in the way that I share this testimony. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I took a uh, trip up to New York City with our campus pastors for a conference, and uh, I didn't take an inhaler with me. And you've got to understand, I've never in 40 plus years gone anywhere without my inhaler, ever, anywhere. Um, Again, it's on my bedside table. I have one in the car, have one in the backpack, have one at the office, several at home, one in my pocket. Um, it was scary. But I felt like it was a step of faith that I needed to take. Now, this is where I want to be careful. I believe that medicine is a miracle. I'm so grateful for doctors. My life has been saved so many times. From emergency surgery for ruptured intestines to a, a code blue in the hospital when I was 13 to all of those times when I have an asthma attack, I wouldn't have made it without an inhaler or a shot of epinephrine. So I'm not suggesting that you go off your meds. Are you hearing me? But I felt like God had said, you, you stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to step out in faith. So here, here's what I did. I think you gotta pray like it depends on God, but I would also suggest that you have to work like it depends on you. So when God healed my asthma, I didn't immediately start smoking. (laughs) I I just think that that would be a little at odds with with maybe God's game plan right there for my lungs. And so um, 
what I did is I set up an appointment with my doctor. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. And so I, I went and saw my doctor and I asked him if we could do a pulmonary function test. And uh, got my results on day 23. And I, I just want to be absolutely as transparent as I can be. Um, I was a little discouraged when I got those results. Because it said a low level of bronchospasm. Uh, or in other words, an underlying tendency towards asthma. And, and at first I was discouraged for a couple of minutes. And I thought to myself, wait, but that's not asthma. That's an underlying tendency towards asthma. Are you kidding me? That's a long ways from where I was. It also was only two, point, two percentage points away from no tendency. Okay. And uh, it said no restrictive lung disease based on lung volumes and the diffusion capacity uh, within my lungs is within a normal range. And so I, I said to the doctor, can we schedule another pulmonary function test in three months. And I can't wait. <laughs> I think that only God can deliver you from certain things. But deliverance has to be coupled with due diligence. Deliverance has to be coupled with disciplines. God can do a miracle in your life, like the, in the gospels where the man kind of cleans out the house. But then if you don't put it in order... The way you break a bad habit is you establish a good habit. You've got to replace something in your life. And so um, I felt like, all right, let's go to work on this thing. And so I started reading books on breathing. And I realized that I had breathed the wrong way my entire life. <laughs> what? There is a wrong way to breathe. Um, I mean, how, how many of you know you ought to be breathing through your nose? Let me see your hands. How many of you know this? And then how many of you don't? Let me see your hand. Just be honest, because I, I didn't. Th thank you for your honesty. Um, by the way, Genesis 2-7, it's no coincidence that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Um, and I won't go into, uh, I, I won't get into nitric oxide. Uh, I won't get into the over-breathing part of, of breathing through your mouth. Um, but I realized that I had been doing this wrong my entire life. So I've been doing breathing exercises. Uh, if you pass me um, on the streets of Capitol Hill as I'm walking to the office, um, you might see me kind of gasping for breath because I'm doing breathing exercises everywhere I go. Um, I'm seeing how many paces I can hold my breath. I'm doing breathing exercises um, uh, in the morning when I'm watching TV, not doing anything else. Let's see how long I can hold my breath. And then we're going to have a contest, you and me. We're going to have a contest. Um, I started researching different diets and supplements because what I realized is that because this memory was so old, it had become an assumption in my life. And, and I had become, uh, I felt like there was nothing I could do about it. And I began to realize that, like, honestly, I don't really watch what I eat like I could or should. And I think much of what I eat causes some uh, chronic uh, inflammation, which is part of the... Uh, undercurrent of what causes asthma. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some diet stuff. I'm going to do some supplement stuff. Now, I want to be careful here. Um, you know, no supplement can compensate for a bad diet, okay? Um, but listen, creation's pretty amazing. And there are some things that with some amazing properties, some of which I don't think you should take or smoke. But... Um, <laughs> But they have amazing properties, some of them healing properties, some of them anti-inflammatories that are just, listen, it's just, 
And so I just, here's, here's what I decided. I'm gonna do anything and everything that is legal and biblical. Because I'm not tolerating it anymore. I'm not gonna submit to it. And if I go down, I'm gonna go down swinging. I'm not gonna take it sitting down. And again, this came out of that message because I just believe what I preach. You know, Revelation 2.20. Um, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have tolerated this woman Jezebel to sin a toleration. What are you tolerating that's robbing God of his glory? What are you tolerating that is shortchanging the price that Jesus paid on the cross? What are you tolerating that's less than God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? What are you tolerating that's acceptable, but it's not beneficial and you know it? Come on, we gotta stop tolerating those things. And then the last thing I did was uh, go out and get a trainer. Because you know what I found? The better cardiovascular shape I'm in, the happier my lungs are. And so I'm gonna pray like it depends on God. I believe God healed me, God delivered me, but I'm gonna back it up with some discipline. I'm gonna work like it depends on me. And so here we are. I went back and looked at my journal and it's kind of funny over the last 50 days, I keep a gratitude journal, I number them. And uh, about every day, wow, I think, I think it really upped my total over the last 50 days. Because <laughs> like every day it was like day six, no inhaler. Day 12, no inhaler. Day 15, no inhaler. Um, I'm a, I, you know, to me, it's 365 gratitudes a year. All right. You've stayed at this mountain long enough. And then it says something interesting. It says, and let me get back into the text right here, and we'll kind of bring this in for some kind of landing. I don't even know where we're going to land. Might be a emergency landing. I don't know. Um, you say to this mountain long enough, but, but it's the next two words that are critical. Break camp. Break camp. Now, it seems like a, a simple command, but it's easier said than done. And, and this is where I want to get in, in your business a, a little bit. Um, let, let me kind of come at it from a different angle. Uh, how many of you have ever um, uh, lost your salvation on the way to church? Let me see your hands. No, let me see your hands. Uh, how many of you, um, you put your marriage in jeopardy, almost got divorced on the way to church? Let me see your hands. Um, and then how many of you almost put your kids up for adoption on the way to church? Um, I don't know what it is. It seems like the enemy's like number one tactic is people going to church. He just gets in our business. And uh, you know what I found? Um, it's hard to get our family of five anywhere. Anytime, for anything. And then I think about when we had babies. Are you kidding me? Like, good luck. You're never gonna be on time for anything. You go to the bathroom, there's a 50% chance they're gonna be swimming in the toilet. It is controlled chaos. Like, it, it's ridiculous trying to get myself from here to there. Um, it's not, it harder with, with my wife and I and then family of five. Here's my point. Try millions of people camped at Mount Sinai. And God says, break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. They had babies. There was no command against wugga wugga in the wilderness. They had babies. Uh, they had flocks and herds and animals. They rode donkeys. There was no air conditioning. How was anybody in a decent mood? 
thousands of years ago. Oh, and then there's the tabernacle. Check this out. The Levites were responsible for moving the tabernacle. There were, there were three clans. And if you add it up based on the census in numbers, 8,580 tabernacle movers just to move the tabernacle. What I'm saying is, I bet they were like, are you sure we can't just stay here? Because it'd be a lot easier. Breaking camp is a big deal. But if you keep doing what you've always done, you're gonna keep getting what you've always gotten. And if you want God to do something new, you can't keep doing this. You cannot stay camped out at that mountain. You can't keep tolerating it. You gotta stop tolerating. You gotta start dominating. That's more than just a play on words. That's God's original commission to you. Genesis 1.28 says God blessed them and said, uh, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number and subdue the earth. Ah, that word subdue, I like it. It's the Hebrew word kabosh. It's like a Batman fight word. Bam, wham, kabosh. It's a submission move in martial arts. It means to conquer, to thoroughly conquer. You gotta take dominion over your attitude. I know you do. You gotta quit complaining. You gotta quit making excuses. Quit playing the victim card. You stayed at this mountain long enough. Uh, You gotta take dominion over your thoughts. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Is that easy? No. Is there another option? No, not biblically. You gotta take dominion over, you gotta take dominion over your body. Listen, Paul was not exactly an Olympic athlete, okay? In fact, probably a hundred pound weakling is my guess. But I love his description of 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I train my body like an athlete. The King James says, I bring it into subjection. Don't tolerate it. Don't tolerate it. Listen, take dominion over it. Some of you, uh, your marriage, you need to take dominion. Starts with just being, uh, taking, taking some action. You know, I think a lot of people think like, oh man, if I go and see a counselor, like it's a sign of weakness. No, 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 no. No, it's a sign of strength. Very few people are strong enough, have enough courage to actually say, hey, I got an issue that maybe I need someone else to help me with. I'm gonna go see a counselor. You stayed at the mountain long enough. How is this working for you? How's it working for you? If it's not working, then it may be time to break camp. And that's what I wanna challenge you to do. Let me close with the story. In 2007, J.K. Rowling was struggling to complete the last book in the Harry Potter series, The Deathly Hallows. She was feeling intense pressure. Uh, One day she said, uh, as she was at her home office in Edinburgh, she said, as I was finishing Deathly Hallows, there came a day when the window cleaner came. The kids were at home. The dogs were barking. And so she couldn't finish because she couldn't focus. So she checked into the Balmoral Hotel in the heart of Edinburgh. And uh, she didn't check out until she finished the, the manuscript. Now, Georgetown professor Cal Newport wrote a great book, Deep Work. And in that book, he writes about this. He says, Rowling's decision to check into a luxurious hotel suite near Edinburgh Castle is an example of a curious but effective strategy in the world of deep work, the grand gesture. The grand gesture. Cal didn't come up with it. Uh, J.K. Rowling certainly didn't either. Uh, The Bible is filled with grand gestures, right? I would say the building an ark, Noah, grand gesture. Uh, confronting Pharaoh, let my people go, grand gesture. Um, 
How about the priests stepping into the Jordan River before God parts it? What about the Israelites circling Jericho for seven days? Uh, How about Elisha burning his plowing equipment? What about the prophet Elisha uh, lying on his left side for 390 days? What about the wise men following a star? What about Andrew dropping his nets? Peter getting out of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And, And I would say that Jesus hanging on a Roman cross, it's a grand gesture. I think there comes a moment where enough is enough. We're gonna break camp. We're gonna advance into the hill country. Now, let me just be point blank. Don't do something dumb. There's dumb faith. There's stuff you can do that's just dumb. Let's not do that. Uh, What I'm talking about is a prayerful approach. I'm talking about getting a word from God. And when you get that word, you act on it. It's time to take that step. It's time to make a move. Started this series talking about Zechariah speaking to the mountain. And I wonder if that's what was going through Jesus' mind as we look at this last verse, Matthew 21, 18. It says, early in the morning as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, wait, 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 wait. He was talking to a tree? Yep. Directly addressed the tree. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Amazing miracle. One of my favorites. Um, Curses a barren fig tree. You know, most of the miracles bring things back to life. This one does the exact opposite. Now, one of my mantras is thou shalt curse barren fig trees. What I mean is what's not producing fruit in your life. Where are you wasting time, talent, and treasure? That's another sermon for another day. But at some point, you gotta curse the barren fig tree. You gotta speak to that part of your life. Um, And this isn't the only instance. He spoke to wind and waves, right? Middle of a storm, peace be still. And he rebukes the wind and the waves and the storm goes away. Uh, Remember Peter's mother-in-law, he rebuked a fever. He spoke to it and rebuked it. Uh, And then he takes it one step further in this passage. He said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Who speaks to inanimate objects? Maybe the one who created them, the one who has authority over them. Again, If you've only been here one or two or seven weeks, I'm more concerned about this message that you don't take it in a full context. If you've been around here, I think you know my heart and uh, you know that I'm getting in your business a little bit this weekend because this is our last shot at it this weekend and my faith is on fire and I think I have enough faith to believe that God can move the mountain in your life. I just don't want you to keep tolerating it. But I also want to be careful to say, you can't just go around and rebuke this and rebuke that. I mean, I can imagine everybody's going to go in Monday and rebuke their boss that they don't like, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. Um, Come on. Um, No. This is not mind over matter. It's not a Jedi mind trick. It's authority over reality is what it is. The authority of God over reality. 
It's got to pass a twofold litmus test. It's got to be in the will of God and for the glory of God. And again, I can't tell you when or where or how, but I do know this. God won't answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. And the mountains you don't speak to, they're going to stay right there. And so there comes a moment. I think this is a moment I hit seven weeks ago. Go ahead and talk to God about your mountain. But then at some point, you got to flip the script. And you got to start talking to your mountain about your God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. You've stayed at this mountain long enough. Break camp. Advance into the destiny that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, help this word take root and bear fruit in our hearts. Lord, I, I know it's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit somewhere between my lips and people's hearts. God, I believe that some people, there, there has been a faith that has risen within them this weekend that during this series, they have believed. And, and maybe like me, it's an early memory, something that just is hard to imagine. But God, I believe that you're able and I pray that you'd give us the courage to ask, to believe one more time for that miracle in our lives. Not for us, but for your glory, that God, your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just pray across our, our eight campuses, God, would your, would your kingdom come and just invade the reality of our lives would we recognize by faith that reality is subject to your authority because you're the creator. And so we consecrate ourselves and offer ourselves and humble ourselves and say, do it again, God. Do it again. In Jesus' name, amen.